Okay, I'm gonna try to talk today about the minig in Klai Yisrael to clap by Haman and Gragers, but I want to come at it, you know, more a little bit from a back a back door. So let's we'll talk it through. Um, there's a there's a famous person in history, Menashe ben Yisrael. I'm not sure, maybe they have heard of him, maybe didn't. Menashe ben Yisrael, Reb Menashe ben Yisrael was a, a Dutch converso, uh, a child of Murano's, meaning his family came from Spain, were kicked out during the Inquisition, they moved to Portugal, and then eventually they moved to, to, to um, Amsterdam or, or one, of the, one of the Dutch countries. And the family, when he was born, he was not even raised as a, as a from Jew. He was raised as like a, a Murano, a pseudo from Jew. And over time, the family, once they moved to a more hospitable environment where they were allowed to practice their religion freely, they became much more firm. And this was a common thing in the, in the Sephardic world at that time, in the early 1600s. It was common to have families who had lived as practicing Christians for 30, 40, 50, 60 years that were slowly coming back to refine, rediscover their heritage. Now, Rabbi Nashib and Yisrael was a big genius. And as a young child, as the family started becoming from again, everyone clearly saw that he had, a, he had a head for this. And he became a big Talmud Chacham. He was also a gracious scholar. He spoke 10 languages. He was able to write in most of them. He published books in many languages. He was a, a gracious Chacham. Um, as a young man, he became convinced that... Um, oh, so one second. So, so most of his svarim, the topics that he covers are is being miyashiv psukim from Christian critique to shtim them with the Jewish Messiah. Being, meaning that being that he was someone who straddled the line, he grew up in both cultures, he was very knowledgeable in, in how to answer this. And his svarim were mostly a defense of Klai Yisrael's understanding of the Nevi'im and a defense of Klai Yisrael's Havana in the Torah, Le'umas, the Christian's Havana. Now, as a young man, he became convinced that the Indians, the American Indians, were the Asera Seshvatim. Someone, uh, a Rebbe of his who had traveled to the New World, came back and convinced him that the Indians were the Aseris Ashvatim. And based on that, he started developing an uh, idea of bringing Mashiach, that, that Mashiach, in his worldview, was predicated on Kibbutz Galius, on Jews from all over the world being brought back together under the flag. And being that the Muranos, his you know, people, his family, his friends, had started coming out of the closet and joining back with, with Yiddishkeit, and he became aware of the fact that the American Indians were Asar Sashvatim. He felt that like all the strands were coming together to form a, 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 the proper time for Mashiach to come. And based on his reading of a Pasuk in Yeshaya, in the end of, the, the end of Yeshaya, that says Jews from all different places, and it says Me'iyim Hagadolim, from the large islands, he came to believe that, that Jews being able to live in London, in, 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 in the United Kingdom, was part of his vision of Mashiach. Jews had to be Me'iyim Hagadolim. And based on that, he reaches out to the king of England, the ruler of England at the time, Oliver Cromwell. And we've mentioned this briefly before. And he starts the process of getting Jews readmitted back into England. Now, he ends up going to England in 1650-something. He goes for two years with his sons to England. And from there, we have big marachas where he writes to, to Catholic scholars about his view of Mashiach. And they write back. And, you know, it's, most of his books were published in either Spanish or Latin. And some of them in Hebrew eventually. But... He, he was Be'ikr preaching Kilo to the Gaish market, to the Christian market, to explain the Jewish worldview to the Christian market. Now, eventually, he's somewhat Matzliach, and Jews are allowed to live in London and England uh, in an unofficial capacity. They're not officially allowed back, but they're allowed there in an unofficial capacity. 
Now, the first group that comes is a group of Svaradic Jews, Svaradic ex-Murano Jews from, from, uh, from Amsterdam, where he was coming from. He brought people, you know, people that he knew, people his type. Svaradic ex-Murano Jews from Amsterdam, and they opened a shul, a small shul in a house in London. The Kehillah picks up because, you know, they were making money. There was a lot of free trade between Amsterdam and London, and they were making money. The Kehillah picks up, and eventually, in the end of the 1600s, they have to open a big new shul. It's called Shara Shemai in the shul, and it's, uh, it's nicknamed the Bevis Mark Synagogue because it's in the neighborhood of Bevis Marks in, in London. Now, the Bevis Mark Synagogue is still functioning today. It's still open. It's still an Orthodox shul, actually, in London. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful old shul. The, the Bevis Mark Synagogue opens up in... Uh, in the, the end of the 1600s, I don't know exactly the year, the end of the 1600s, towards the 1700s, and, and the Bevis Mark Synagogue is ran like a very traditional Svardi shul. Now, Svardi shul in those days was ran by the Ma'amad. There was a group of Balabatim who ran the shul, and they put their, had their fingerprints on everything. The Rabbanim were just hired hands. Like, uh, they didn't really, and, and this, you know, leads to major, major fights in the Svardic shul world, actually. But the Anche Ma'amad ran it, and what's unique about the Bevis Mark Synagogue is that the Anche Ma'amad kept phenomenal records of everything that they did in the shul, and it's preserved till today. So several books were written about the, the notes of the Anche Ma'amad from the Bevis Mark Synagogue, and in it you'll find lots of interesting things, and many, many occurrences of, of racism towards the Ashkenazim, who was starting to trickle into England towards the end of the 1600s. And, and uh, like Adkade Kachla, they had a rule in the Mashal that the Kupas Atstaka of the, commun- of the community could only go to someone who's a Svardi couple on both sides. The husband and the wife are Svardim. If even one half of the couple is Ashkenazim, they can't get any Tzedakah. If a single person would show up to the Kehila looking to be put on the rolls to get help, they would pay for his ticket back to Amsterdam. They would give him $2 and a ticket back to Amsterdam. There's like many, many examples. It's all documented very clearly. But now, the part that I'm told, that the reason why I caught my attention irrelevant for today is because the Bevis Mark Synagogue, the Anche Ma'amad, described their first interaction with Ashkenazi Jews in shul. Now, keep in mind, these were people who had grown up in the Christian world and were used to a very strict decorum, a shul with like, you know, in the lines and the chazan daven and everyone sat quietly in the pews and no one made noise. And then these Ashkenazim came in, coming from Poland or Russia. And you have to read the complaints there. They're noisy, they're unkempt, they don't know how to follow decorum, they talk, they schmooze. Now, so, so in, in, nothing changed, nothing changed. So now, in here is L'chaira, somewhat of a, of a limud schos for, for Ashkenazi behavior, and somewhat of a vice that this behavior pattern has been going on for a long time. The limud schos aspect of it is that a lot of their complaints are not about them talking during Chazar Sashats, for example, like Zacham Dvarm Dvarm Asurim. A lot of the complaints are because they dab suki the Zimmer too loud and they, they sing too much, and they, they don't stay in their seats. So a lot of their complaints are like a flasig davening, you know, a, a good Ashkenazi Jew who wasn't used to this like, strict decorum of sitting in a seat and following shul the way he was supposed to follow shul. Of course, in there is also complaints about talking during davening and things that are aser, that we know clearly Shulchan Aruch holds are aser, for Sephardim or Ashkenazim, that's not a question. But there is a, a small amount of alimut schos in there that their complaints, a lot of them, are about like the flavor, the fleshikait of the Yiddishkeit of the Ashkenazim. It wasn't so sterile. Now, just um, to bring a few different strands of things we talked about together over here, back in the, in the fight between Aaron Charan and Mechsam Sefer about music and shuls, Aaron Charan, in his piece, he writes over there that one, a guy who would walk into an Ashkenaz, to a shul, he's, he only knew Ashkenazim, would walk into a shul, a guy would walk in, he would laugh at us. He'd say, what a bizayin. You guys are screaming and yelling and running and coming. There's no decorum, no one's sitting in their place, no one's davening. 
the way he mocks a shul is like any a Christian walking in and saying like, look at this lack of decorum, look what's going on over here. Now he's not, and then he obviously morphs into him, befrat that they even get led to talk during davening and even could talk to our masurim. So like, again, the main thrust of his complaint is that like, guys are too, everyone's davening a little bit too, too happy, too intense, too fleshig in the shul. The, the, dav, the talking during davening and the actual Dvar Masurim are almost like a minor complaint. He, he rather ends off in that letter, Aaron Kharan, that the, the reform had wanted that shul should only be open on Shabbos and during the week you daven in your house, you daven elsewhere. Now, this minute was kind of adapted, let's say, by the Young Israel movement that has like a main sanctuary for davening and then like side rooms for during the week because there's less of a crowd. But he, they wanted that to be always and they explained that it's a mila. The Beis HaKnesses is like Meir Mikdash. It's a heilige place. You can't just uh, be shagger there, be free, run around, do whatever you want. It has to be heilige. It has to be... He said the only way to maintain decorum, to maintain that when people come to Ashul, they'll feel some sort of presence, some sort of sense that they're in Hashem's house and they're going to daven differently, is if it's only open once in a while. If you come on Shabbos and it's a solemn ceremony and you walk in, people will daven with Hazah, Rizcha, they'll be afraid of the Beis HaKnesses. So even he, Aaron Kharan, writes to them that this idea is great in theory, but Lemaise davening is a mitzvah every day, and probably shul should be open every day. So even he, like, uh, you know, was not okay with that. But the idea behind it was to mun decorum, was to mun, like, a certain, like, um, seriousness and, and, uh, and, and, like, straightness during davening in shul. Now, in, interestingly enough, the Domestic Eliezer, who's one of the Meshivim against Aaron Kharan in the Eil of Bris that we quoted from before, the Domestic Eliezer writes that in his opinion, the reason why the magaifa of the reform came and the attack of the reform was primarily on the Beis HaKnesses, the reason why that came is because we're not quiet in shul, is what he says. Because people are not quiet in shul and he's talking about the Dvar Masurim. He's not talking about davening uh, a Hartzik of the Zimra. I don't think he has a problem with it. He's talking about that people talk. So Mela, he says the, the Averu is in the shul, so the, the Einish comes in the shul. So part of the conversation is always about this decorum in shul. Now, so, so Bechalif, and to me, it shows that for the longest time it's been the same challenge and it also shows that a lot of it stems from a good place, so to speak. There is a limitzchos that a lot of the, the inability to sit in our seats quietly and just do what we're supposed to stems from this, this, you know, we're comfortable in shul and we're excited to daven and, and it's not so sterile and, and, and state like that. Now, the one time where we do find that noise in shul is encouraged, the dafka encouraged is purim. So, so uh, let's talk about that minig and the moderating factors of that minig because obviously it's not just Chaim uh, here, I have to be careful it's not just you do whatever you want and you, you make all the noise you want so, so um, as follows the earliest place I think that we know of that the minig is brought down is in the Ravon Hayarchi it's a Rishon Ravon Hayarchi says as follows he says the minig was he says to take two sticks and to write on each one of them Haman, Haman's name Haman Agagi write on each one of them and then you would take them and you would clap them against each other like this until the words that were written on them, until you hit them so many times that the word that was written on it would get erased. And he says, Like, you're erasing it against itself. That's his version, the Ravon Hayachi's version of explaining the minig of, of uh, clapping during Haman. Now, the, the Ramah, right off the bat, it's good to show, the Ramah in Tafresh Tzadik, in the Simon of Kriyas Megillah, the Ramah brings as follows. And listen to the, to the nuance. The Ramah says as follows. He says, Oid kasfu, shenago atinoikis, the minig amongst the children was, lotzer tzuras haman al eitzim vavanim, he says to draw a picture, not even words, to draw a picture of haman with the pointy hat on stones or sticks, oilichtoiv, shem haman aleim, or to write the word haman on them, ula hakaisan zel, zerkadeshim chashmai, and then to 
clock them one against the other so that the name of Haman should get erased. Alderech machetim chazech ramalik. B'shem Rishon Yirka. As always, Dr. Ramon. Says the Ramon, here's the important part. Says the Ramon, umizeh nishtarvev haminig. From there, it kind of cascaded down, it broke down to us the minig. So you see clearly from the Ramah that the core minig that the Ravan was talking about had absolutely nothing to do with Kriyas HaMegillah. It was a Purim pastime or a general uh, was to write Haman on it and to clap the sticks or the stones. It had nothing to do with this man of Kriyas HaMegillah. Says the Ramah, but from this was Nishtarvav the minig to do it during Kriyas HaMegillah. And here's the Ramah, this is the important line over here. The Ramah does not always put this at the end of a minig. Even strange minhagim don't always get this caption. Says the Ramah, We're not supposed to be vatal any minig. Or make fun of it. Because it wasn't established for no reason. Now, it's a, it's a, it's a double madnazach. Aleph, the minig that we have in Shul, is not even the primary minig of Mechikas Amalek. The primary minig that the Ramah is relying upon, the minig that the Ravan quotes and that other Rishonim quote is to do it on sticks. The Ramah writes, the minig of clapping during Shul is Nishtarvah from that, and even though it's only Nishtarvah from that, we should be Shemrim and Hagim. So now, there are, are many chuvas that picked up on this nuance in the Ramah, why the Ramah decided to say that over here, and the, the consensus is, go for that. Heyois, talking during, you know, noise, not talking, noise in Shul has always been a shter. it's always been a challenge, it's always been a blight, Kilo, that we're trying to moderate and to keep in, in its proper amount and its proper, you know, deal with it properly. And over here, the Ramah is coming and telling you during a time when you need to be Yaitzah Kriyas and Megillah that we should make noise. So the Ramah says, like, I, I have that that's weird. Like, that, that doesn't mamashtim with, like, the agenda that we have going throughout the whole Luchas where I'm encouraging quiet. And over here, I tell you, noise, noise, noise. Gans Kriyas Atayra, the Ramah says, you have to be quiet every word, hear every word. Over here, I tell you, make noise. So the Ramah says, yes, maskim, it's a little bit incongruous with uh, you know, the decorum that we're looking for in a shul, but it comes from a good place, so, so let's just um, talk about where this, what this minig actually comes from, where, where, you know, what the, the underlying reasons for this minig are. So now, the, the Ravan brings it down, he says, now, there are those who say that is not against itself, is an extra drasha. The Torah could have just said, what does it say? Is Machetimcha is to teach us that any time the name of Amalek or the name of Haman is mentioned, there's also a din of Mechias Amalek on the name itself. So it's like a kiyam of the derais of Machetimcha. So Mimela, it's kilo a very important thing. It's something that is a kiyam in the midst of Machetimcha. So yes, the whole Megillah is, is about that same mitzvah in a certain way. The whole Megillah is about showing who Amalek is and what Amalek is to us and why it's our chayv to always Muhammad Hashem Amalek midardar. So this is also, this is an action along the same vein. Now, now, other reasons, what do you say? So it's brought down, I think, in the Mata Moshe. It's a Talmud of the Marshal. Brings down that Joshua. It's early, four or five hundred years ago already. I don't think, uh, he, he might say, we don't have a Medrash that actually says that. You know what I'm saying? It's, a, it's early, early enough. It's an early source. Now, I'll just say like this. The, the Rabbi Huda Chassid, it's Gibrach Bishmai. This is not in Rabbi Huda Chassid Sefer. It's brought in the name of Yehuda Chassid, a very different reason for this minute that's interesting. He brings, I'll read a few. Pamachas Shaul Hegmoin Miragensburg is Yehuda Chassid. A non-Jewish uh, Hegmoin, call it an officer, a minister, asked to Yehuda Chassid of Ragensburg, Why are you banging on the walls when you're being masked Haman? Now, I, this story is, is brought in later, Svarim, it's not brought down in Yehuda Chassid for alone, but... If the dating is to be believed, then Akhapanim, this is a minig that was very nuflitz already, came out a thousand years ago. 
Meaning it's a minig, the Ravon is from that Kufa, or Yudah Chas is from that Kufa. It's a minig that's very nafutz for, for a thousand years. He asked him, so what's, what's with this banging when you mention Haman? So Amalari, uh, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda Chas told the Hegmain, Kol kach tefika shanu doifkin, whatever we bang when we, when we hear the name Haman, kach hashedim doifkin lebegehenim. Whatever the amount of clapping and banging that's going on over here is translated with kinetic energy to Haman in Gehenim. So the Hegmoin has a very good question, one I would ask also. Amalei minalach. How do you know that? I mean, you, we're down here, Haman's somewhere else with these, with these Shadim. He wasted us. Amalei, he told him, Come and I'll show you. Halachima, he took him with him. The Hereu, we passed off Gehenim. He brought him to the, to the viewing gallery of Gehenim, to the doors. The Rashi, Ekeu. And he saw that they were hitting him. If I would be there, I would add some klep too, said the, said the minister. Now, again, this is not something that we, we have from any uh, super reliable source that Yudah Chassid actually said this, but it is gebracht like upon him in the name of Yudah Chassid that, that, um, that the makar for this minig is because it causes Haman Tsar when we, when, we uh, when we clap by Haman. Now, there are... Uh, there are other reasons also. The, the, the Chsam Seifer seems to say, it's a little bit tricky to read it, but Chsam Seifer seems to say that, and this is rather <laughs> something that, that talks to me, is that Ba'atzim, we're very busy being Mecha Shem Amalek, right? That's our agenda with, with, with Amalek. The way we try to remember Amalek always is Mecha Timcha. Now, the, the Megillah is in a certain way a very, like, the opposite of Mecha Timcha. It's a nice remembrance of Amalek. Yes, it doesn't end well for him, but at the end of the day, we're talking about Amalek and we're not, we're not you know, we're just we're talking about it. So Chamsefer says, like, to correct for the, for the issue of that we're Kilu giving Amalek airtime, we're giving Haman airtime, instead of just wiping him out, we're giving him some airtime. So to correct for that, we stamp when we say his name. So no, we're not giving you any airtime. You're like an incidental to the story. The story's about the Atzalah of Klaiso and what Hashem did for us. Incidentally, you're mentioned, so we, we're just gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make it us, you know, thing. Now, these are some of the reasons that are gezakt for, uh, for the din of Mechiyas, for the, for the din of, of banging by Amalek. There are other ones also, but again, let's keep in mind, all of these are, you know, they're B'derach Efshers. None of these are, as I like, a, you know, overwhelming reason for the Minig. Yes, granted, the Minig is an old Minig. It's certainly a thousand years old to clap and to bang, but the, the reasons are not, uh, you know, Allah HaMashim Sinai. Now, there's a tshuva from the Maram Shik, where the Shail writes to the Maram Shik, and it's like the Maram Shik considers a Purim Torah. The Shail writes to the Maram Shik that the Makar for clapping during, during the Gil by Hamon is Me'anshik Nesak it comes from the Anshik Nesakdeila, and he has some rice that it comes from the Anshik Nesakdeila during the Tkufa that they were Kaveya to read the Megillah, they were also Kaveya to clap by Haman. And he has some rice to show you less Ramshik. Ramshik is, has very, very little time and patience for this. He says, of course, that's silly. It's Pashat, that's not true. Yes, it's a, it's a Chashav Minig. Yes, it's brought down in the Ramah. And yes, it's even worth fighting for, says Ramshik. I'm not saying to be Vatlet, it's an important Minig. One shouldn't, one shouldn't uh, be Vatlet, but. Uh, to say that it comes to Anjik and is ludicrous. It's of course a minute that developed later. He says, like the Ramah says, Nishtarviv. See, he says, but keeping the Nishtaruvi, Nishtarviv, says the Ramshik. But okay, Yehind did already was Nishtarviv like this. It came down to us this way, so it's here already. That's it. It's here to stay. But don't say that it comes to Anjik and says the Ramshik. Now, the, the, in that same tshuva, there's a piece that the Mishabur brings down also that the Ramshik handles. If you look at the Mishabur Afan Art, where the Ramah brings this down, the Mishabur brings down some cryptic words. He says, Nishtarviv that were Makim Hamon. By, by the Kriyas Megillah says, says the Mishnah Burah, Maharil, Haman. The Maharil was, he was unconcerned with Hakayas Haman, with banging by Haman. Now, there's more than one way one could read this. How would you read this? Do you say the Maharil, 
he wasn't concerned by it, meaning it didn't stir him. He said, yeah, yeah, bang, bang, do what you want. Or he said, it's not important, don't be busy with this. How do you read the words of the, of the Maril when he says, when the Maril says, so there are those who bring the Maril, Lamashal the Primagadim seems to learn it this way, and others, the Prichadash maybe also, seem to learn the Maril. The Maril was against it. The Primagadim comes out very strongly against it. The Primagadim says, You can't be to the Megillah like this. It's a terrible thing. It's a shter. Says the Primagadim, and the Maril also, He wasn't, he wasn't busy with this Minig Bukhlal. Others, Rabbi Yaakov Emdin and this Chuva from the Ramshik, they, Rabbi Yaakov Emdin does it much more short. The Ramshik does it in a, in a very nice way. The Ramshik goes and shows you how looking through the Minhagi Maril, you'll be able to see that the Maril was about Kaira. The Maril was leaning. It says, when it says the Maril, it says the Ramshik, when it says the Maril, the Maril meant, meaning the Maril wasn't bothered by it. Meaning they were noisy, they were clapping, they were doing what they were doing. He says, I, you're going to ask me, we don't find anywhere that the Maril clapped Haman. The Maril is full of Minhagim, and the Maril never says to do it. So doesn't mean that. It says the Ramshik, you don't find anywhere that the Minig was for adults to clap during Haman. He says, that's not the Minig. It says the Ramshik, the Minig was for children to clap during Haman. A father wants to participate, a little stamp, well, knock yourself out. But, but the minig that the Ramah is referring to, the Ishtaruvi, the Ishtarviv, the Maril, etc., says, Leimotzinu, that it's Kizak Begedeilim Bechlau. What's you looking for a Makar for the Maril to say, adults should clap Haman? That's not the minig Bechlau, that was never the minig. So no, so Behuda Chas is Mashba, yeah. He says, yeah, the minig was Ketanim. But the Maril brings that down? No, it doesn't bring that down either. Incidentally. Rabbi Yaakov Emden, in his own way, Rabbi Yaakov Emden says that. The Marilla Echayshish means like the Marmshik says. Marilla Echayshish meaning it was, uh, it was something that didn't bother him. He allowed them to do it. But the Marilla, he doesn't go into any sorts of uh, calisthenics to figure out what the Marilla's role in the synagogue was or what the Marilla's position was. He just says, I remember my father, Chacham Tzvi, as a young man, would clap during, during Haman. And he's talking about his father, Chacham Tzvi, himself as an adult. So there you have both ways that it's an adult clapping and really he learns the Marilla. That uh, it's, it's uh, you know, it wasn't a problem. Now, Lemaisa, Lemaisa, obviously, obviously, everything in moderation. So, the Mishnaburah himself, in Simantafresh Peites, the Mishnaburah brings down, I think it's the, all the way in the end of Simantafresh Peites. Hang on. Here, the Mishnaburah brings down as follows The, the, the Machaber says, Minig Toiv Lahavik Tanim Muktanis Megillah. It's a Minig Toiv to bring young children boys and girls, to hear the Megillah. This is Mishum Chinuch. Says the Mishnaburah as follows, Not only do the kids not come and hear it, and by there, and thus, you're being Yitzhi, they disturb it for everybody. Even the adults can't hear it anymore. They're only there, sitting, waiting, when's Haman coming? They're not listening to the Megillah B'chlal. Now this is the kicker. Says the Mishaburah, forget about the staring the adults. It's a waste of time. The mitzvah's chinuch was not to be mechanech your children to clap by Haman. The mitzvah's chinuch is to be mechanech your children to hear the Megillah. So if your children don't even come to listen to the Megillah, then you're not being yet to chinuch. So it's some bracha v'tal. You have the annoyance of having your kids sitting all over you, which you don't need to have. And you're not being yet to the mitzvah's chinuch. So stam, yatzah scharab have said this, says the Mishaburah. It makes a joke of the whole thing. But Emes Mitzad Mitzvah's Chinuch says, You want to know how Chinuch should be applied to Mikra Megillah? Every father has to keep his children right by him and to watch over them closely. So that they should hear the Kriya Samagillah. And when the Kriya does get up to the words of Hamanah Agagi, 
Let the katan, let the katan do kimin hagai. The child could bang like he wants to. But not that that should be the primary reason and the primary reason why you're bringing katanim to the base of medrash. So says the mishabura who brings the minig and brings, you know, many paiskim who did it, and it's pavos, it's pakant, the chavetz chaim himself. Used to clap during during Miguel laning. I'm sure it wasn't uh, you know some crazy clapping, but the Chavetz Chaim himself we know used to clap by Haman. But Mishabura himself literally uh, a page apart. Mishabura says like not done with proper moderation. Is Yatzis Charev say they a you're not yet to Miguel the adults, bays the kids are not yet to the mitzvah schinuch. So Yistam have nothing. So now now um, so of course moderation is important. Now Lamaisa in the in the uh, in the Sephardic world. In the Sephardic world, there was a big push to ban this minig. I don't know how, how uh, kavua this minig was in the Sephardic world, Bechlal. It's really an Ashkenazi minig. It comes from, Fran- from, from Paris and pr- from France and Provence. Like, it's an Ashkenazi minig. But there was, of course, of course some crossover over the Deiris where Sephardim also adopted this minig. And there was a big push in, in different Sephardim Meshivim to ban this minig, to get rid of it. Lamashal, I'll read you. What do you say? Banging in Gansin, yeah. Not moderation, exactly. The banging and Gantzer. I'll bring you for example, I'll bring you for example, uh, well, it stems with, with, the, with the shul, the Shah Shemayim shul that we started off with, with insisting on a more proper decorum in a synagogue, with insisting, you know, insisting on a more, a more uh, mature presentation, not such a boisterous presentation. Now, I'll read you just from one shuva from, from uh, Sefer Melitz Yosher. It's the Minhagim of Amsterdam, the Svarty Minhagim of Amsterdam. It says as follows, Says the writer, let's count out how many Yisurim you have with this. That's number one. A lack of kibbutz of aim. The kids are disobeying their parents. The parents are getting frustrated. No, enough, enough. And the kid's not listening. It's a lack of kibbutz of aim. Most of the adults are not being yitzim kriyas megillah because they're only hearing a small part of it. Bilbul Hakriya, disturbing the Kriya, meaning the Balkaria, Bilbul Bilbul Hakriya, is that it's not a proper Kriya anymore because no one can concentrate anymore. And then, this again is not an Ashkenazi concern, that we look like a mockery in the eyes of the nations, meaning the, the Ashkenazim definitely were not concerned with this, that we look like, a, it's like a joke, what type of, this is not a serious place, in a, in a serious house of faith, this would never go on, this is the, what's going on over here. It also could lead to a danger, because, uh, People, uh, just, no, I, I take it back. This, it's going to get to that. This is a little bit more nitpicky. The people are fasting and you're schlepping it out. Who knows if someone could die of hunger while they're waiting for you guys to stop clapping. It says, It could hurt someone's eardrums. Someone who has a weak system, it could hurt his eardrums. This is a very, very catchy, this is a very, very catchy rendition of the minig. He says, uh, and I asked the Mizagin that the minig back then was to do it. People back then were very strong. They were able to fast longer. Their ears didn't hurt. This is, I'm reading you literally what he says. Uh, I, the death, uh, the standard age of death, you know, a thousand years ago was about 25. They were very strong in regards to their ears and their ability to fast and etc. But Bechalaifin, uh, and you'll find this, this is a recurring theme. In Chazon Avadi on Purim, it has a huge rant, very similar to this, about how this is a bad mimic, and, and, and he says this is an Ash- exclusively Ashkenazi problem. We'll leave it by the Ashkenazim. We don't need to have this in our shuls. This is not something we need to have by us. Now, um, the, the Lamashal, Rav Chaim Palachi's son, Rav Avram Palachi, in Izmir, there's like a whole marach of chuvas. It's, it's 10 pages long, so I'm not going to read it, where he's 
actively working to eradicate the minig, to see to it that this minig is eradicated across all the shuls in Izmir in Turkey, because this is a crazy minig that ruins it for everybody. So, Al-Kopanim, I would just say the, the, the range, let, let's, just, let's just say like this, the idea that a shul is boisterous and that a shul is not so filled with proper decorum amongst the Ashkenazi Kehilas is definitely well-founded. That it's always been a challenge and something that we fight and work on to not do dvar masurim is a munach, that's pashat. Comes Purim, there's clearly an altaminig that made it into shuls at a very early point. Ready in Rebuda Chassid's day about 800 years ago. Uh, obviously, within moderation, um, this minig let to run loose, hakal maidim, you're not going to have a Megillah, you're not going to have a Megillah in Bechlal. We definitely find many places who feel that it's mostly for children, not for adults. You find others who say it should be, you know, gentle clapping, don't, don't, don't get out of hand, don't get crazy. And then you find in the Svarti world, which matches up with how, how we're describing the shul environment in the Svartic world and, and how they felt Ashkenazim were very out of place in that world, that this is a minig that's, that's not appropriate, that's just disruptive and should be gotten rid of. Now, uh, I think Ravadi says not to do it. And every shul makes their own rules. I'm saying every shul has moderate, moderations on this. Svartim, no, Ravadi says not to do it. Ravadi says Svartim shouldn't do it. But in the Ashkenazi world, you know, I don't know. When, in, yeah, exactly, exactly. By us, the idea of having a varma shul and a, a fleshig shul has certainly has value, right? Like, again, you can't take it too far. There has to be moderation, otherwise you destroy the whole thing. But the idea of a fleshig shul certainly exists. Now, I... Can start a two dollars I'll match. the racism lives on. The racism lives on. Okay, now just, if I could just bother you for, for two more minutes, I came across a story last night that I think is worth sharing. It has absolutely nothing to do with this Indian. It does have to do with Amsterdam, so I'll, I'll just share it. It does have to do with Amsterdam. What do you say? Yeah, exactly. It does have to do with Amsterdam where we're all moving after he's done with us. So, so let's just, I'll just, it's a, it's a perm story worth sharing. Um, there's a piyot, a very strange piyot in the Machzavitri. It's worthy of a, a share on its own, but there's a strange piyot in the Machzavitri called Lel Shikurimu. It, it's like a bar song, like a drunken bar song about the first night of Purim. It's actually the only makar in the Rishayim that drinking the first night of Purim is a thing to do. But it's a it's a sheer that that you know met a lot of pushback because it's it's a little bit silly, it's a little it's sonistic. Some people even said it has a little bit of nivel pen in it. It's not so clean. Others said it doesn't come from the Machzavitri. It's a whole tumult on its own. Worth talking about a different time, maybe next year Purim. But but just there's there's a a crazy story that I came across last night. The in Amsterdam, there was a Rav. His name was Rebbe Leezer um, Margolius. He wrote a sefer called Meiser Rekeach on the Mishnayis. It's Kabbalistic interpretations of the Mishnayis. Meiser Rekeach, it's called. He's actually the, the, the great-grandfather of the Belzerebus. The, the Rekeachs, his name was Margolius. But eventually, when they had to take a last name in Galicia, they were in of Rebbe Leezer Margolius. They took the name Rekeach from the sefer Meiser Rekeach. And all the Belzerebus, you know, all the Rokachs, are inikluch of this Meiser Rekeach. It's a famous Balmoifus. Now, there's a story that's Gebrach, where he, he says, the story is brought down, it's a Belza folklore, let's call it, that tells us, says as follows. In Amsterdam, one year, this is talking the early 1700s, as Purim was coming, Amsterdam is a city that has lots of levees and dikes and, and like dams. It has a lot of water in it. There was a, some sort of sea serpent fish that they had never seen before. He describes it as some sort of, you know, unearthly uh, serpent. Let's, for argument's sake, Say, say it was a whale that got lost in a canal. You know, it was a, it was a pod of, uh, I don't know, killer whales that got lost in, in the canals in Amsterdam. They don't belong in there. And they kept breaching up against the canal walls and they were doing tremendous damage. It says that no one knew what to do with it. It was like a, there was this crazy fish, you know, this crazy sea serpent, a primitive way of looking at it that was there. And they didn't know what to do with it. 
and uh, the kids were enthralled by it. And, and I'm, I'm guessing that it was a killer whale only because of the, the eyes, the pattern. He says, the, the story is Gibrach, that the kids named it the Purimia serpent, the serpent of Purim, it was around Purim time, and they tried to dress up like it. They made masks that had different colors on their faces to dress up like the fish. So that's why I'm, I'm guessing it's some sort of uh, you know, whale with markings on its head. They dressed up like it. And he says, but at Lamaisa, the kids were, were dressing up and having fun, but it was, uh, it was a great concern for the Kehillah. And uh, the night of Purim, the whale or whatever it was, was breaching hard, and they were afraid that it was going to cause the levee to collapse, and they were going to have a flood, and the whole thing would be over. The whole city would be destroyed. So he says, they, the, the, the Rav, Rabbi Yezer Rekeach, Rabbi Yezer Margolius, who's incidentally the Zayd of Ephraim Zalm Margolius too, who kept the real name, the Rokachs and the Margolius' are cousins, but... but uh, he, um, he called everyone to shul and he said, we have to do some sort of slicha, some sort of kinah, something, some sort of tefillah that we could say to, to avert this disaster. And he took out a machzavitri, which is full of the nosach and the piyutim. He starts flipping through the Purim section, doesn't see anything that talks to him for this thing. And suddenly he opens up to this, to this piyut, which is not by the Purim section. It's elsewhere in the machzavitri. Lel shikurmu, this kilu silly piyut of lel shikurmu. And he says, this is the one. This is the one we should say. And he starts saying it, and in it there's words about obviously HaKadosh Baruch Hu being Matzal Kla Yisrael, and about giving drink to everybody, give wine to everybody, let everybody be shikr, don't be karg. Someone drinks water, he's over an iser, like it's crazy things in the pit. And they read it, you know, with grace kavana at chatzois on Purim by night, and then afterwards he turns to the Gabe and he says, give, give everybody to drink. And the Gabe says, we, we don't have enough for that, We're not gonna, we have a stock for the year, we're going to run out. So it's, it's mafurish in the pit, don't be karg, give everybody the stock. And everybody drank, and they drank, and everyone was happy, and as they all stumbled out of the shul drunk, on Purim night, the first night of Purim, at 1.30 1 in the morning, they came across the canal, and the canal was, was blood red too. And they looked down, and they saw that the fish had ruptured its, its body with its scratching and banging on the wall, and it died. And they said that the blood of the fish looked like wine also. So this piyat of the Lel Shikurim, the first night, the drunken first night of Purim, saved the town of Amsterdam from this thing. Now this is a story that's Gizak Tiber and Nechsi Shvelt. He's a famous Balmaifist, the Baal Shem Tev used to learn his Svarim. It's, it's worthy of a speech on its own, really, that's in Machsavitri and etc., but I just wanted to share it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.